Today's episode of No Dunks is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. The only place to read your emails and tweets. We got the whole crew calling in once again. I'm J.E. Skeets, and alongside me, via the power of technology, Tass Mellis. Tassie? Hey, guys. What's up? We got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Hey-o. Hey. Hey. hey yo. The international man of mystery, taking it to the max, Lee Ellis. Friends. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, making the magic happen, it's J.D. Hello. There he is, and here we are. As always, a sincere thank you to everyone who sent in their questions over the last week or so. Keep them coming. Email us, nodunksattheathletic.com, or tweet them in, at nodunksinc, or use that hashtag, nodunks. We also dropped a little bonus podcast here early on Wednesday called The Case of the Mysterious Raptors Autograph, uh, a fun investigation podcast Uh you know, surrounded by our own Tass Mellis, who was uh, creating quite the tweet controversy last night. So that's all I'm going to say. You got to go and download and listen to that fun podcast, The Case of the Mysterious Raptors Autograph, as uh, we broke down the latest scandal in the NBA Twitter sphere. A lot of fun. But let's uh, let's get to the questions because we got a whole lot of them once again. Yeah, we got a great batch. People sending in some good ones to no dunks at theathletic.com. And the first one starts with a great line. Hey, no badunkadunks. I grew up homeschooled and actually played on homeschool basketball teams. I know it sounds absurd. Most people can't believe that homeschool sports teams exist. When I found out Justin Jackson, the NBA player, played homeschool basketball, I both felt validated and have been rooting for him ever since. What are players that you are fans of for reasons other than their game or the teams that they play for? As from David Osborne in Newton, Massachusetts. Can I just confirm, like, homeschooled sports... That means kids that are being homeschooled, they're, I, uh, I assume, what, playing these organized sports with other homeschooled kids? Is that, is that right? That's a good question. I think at least where I grew up, if you were homeschooled, you were allowed to play sports for the nearby school. So, you know, oh. like if you were homeschooled in Plano, Illinois, you're playing for Plano High School. I don't know if mm. that's the case nationwide or if you just have to field a team out of your actual home school so it's like justin jackson playing with his mom and dad brothers and sisters i'm unsure of the exact protocol well jackson and lincoln played in a in a homeschool league that was all homeschool kids yeah it was specifically created for uh kids who were homeschooled Uh, that, that was soccer they didn't have basketball and then one of the moms actually started a basketball club but uh Jackson hated it because it was treated like a everybody gets to touch the ball and nobody loses. And he was like, Every, everybody sucks on that team. 
Yeah, I, I'm guessing that uh, David here and Justin Jackson played in that sort of variation, though. That that yeah, all if you were homeschooled, um, you were playing against other homeschooled students. I'm going to assume that's the case here. Um, but a but a funny question off of this. I think for me, it's pretty obvious though. Um, it's I'll cheer for any Canadian player. You know, full stop. That's it. You just have to be Canadian, and uh, I'm you know going to be cheering you on. So be it Jamal Murray or. SGA, who's you know, I'm Canadian and I'm gonna cheer for them. You know, yeah. Oh, give me a Dort. Hey, give me Brooks. Give me Birch. Give me Boucher. You know, I'm gonna cheer for them all. So uh, that's my answer to this. Yeah, I'm I'm the same with the Australian dudes though as well. You always got a bit of a soft spot for them, especially the guys like Paddy Mills and Aaron Baines and Joe Ingles, who guys I thought they're not going to be much more than just deep rotation players, probably bounce around quite a few teams and pick up some minutes here and there, but not really become impactful. But, you know, those guys have actually become very, very important players for the teams they've played on. And, uh, you know, Paddy and Bainsey have picked up a championship along the way. Delhi a little bit the same, but Delhi hasn't really been able to sort of establish himself in the league like those other guys have. And then, you know, the other guys like um, Ben Simmons and Andrew Bogan, I mean, they were number one picks, so you expect them to be good. So it's good when you see them play well, but uh, I, I certainly have a bit more of a connection, I think, to those guys who are a little bit more unexpected to sort of make, make a real um, stamp in the league. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's playing the homer card, but why not? I mean, you want to see guys from uh, maybe where you're from actually go out there and perform on the biggest stage. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Of course, I will support any Illinois boy, uh, but I've got some other additional 100% in on them. There's only been eight T-R-E-Ys in NBA history. They've pretty much all been bad, but luckily we got Trey Young, a T-R-A-E in the mix, putting on for the name. It sounds the same. It's a homonym. It's fine. Another one I always like is somebody who would come on our show and who is very cool. So uh, one that sticks out to me is Marvin Bagley. That guy was a rookie. He came on, acted like number two, (laughs) literally wore an eye patch for a segment during a Halloween show. I'm Mm. always going to root for Marvin Bagley now. I've got a soft spot for Eric Gordon because the way he bounced around, he wasn't he wasn't very happy. And I could I could feel it. I I could feel it. I I empathize with him because I thought he was going to be part of the up and up with the Clippers, you know, before the Lob City Clippers in 2008. He was drafted by them, the number seven pick. He thought he was going to turn it around because in his third season, it seemed like the franchise was coming around. Blake Griffin was drafted, and they had a connection that first year. Eric Gordon had a career-high 22 points. They were the future, and then that offseason was that whole Chris Paul debacle where New Orleans traded him to appear to be the Lakers. It was vetoed by David Stern. The league was in control of New Orleans back then, and then Chris Paul ended up being traded to the Clippers in exchange for Eric Gordon, and Chris came in and another you know, a couple parts. And Eric Gordon thought he was on the rise with LA and then he went to New Orleans. He didn't want to be there. He only played nine games his first year, became a restricted free agent. Sun signed him to a four-year offer sheet. The Sun's out of nowhere. And it was clear Eric Gordon didn't want New Orleans to match. He's like, he, he said, I want the heck out of here. But they did match. And, um, you know, they, he was the centerpiece of that trade. So they had to keep him around. He played four more years in New Orleans, but just wasn't the same. And he recovered in Houston. He won that sixth man award. And some people think, yeah, he's in his best role. He was never going to be a number one or number two guy. But we never saw that peak. And uh, you could see the sadness on his face at times. But he, he has found himself. And uh, he's, he's made lots of money and found his way. So I'm happy for him. Next question here. Hi, no doubt. <laughs> Guys. 
What happens to all the cards from those throwback packs? I need to know. You could wallpaper the walls with those bad boys. Uh, turn up. That's from Elliot in Oxford, England. And he says, P.S. I have such a funny video of Trey coming. <laughs> L-M-F-A-O. What is this video possibly going to be? What? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascinated to find out. Uh, mm. Hopefully we, we learn what this video is from Elliot. Um, that is going to be so, so funny. But, uh, Lee, why don't you answer this one? What do we do with all these... Uh, throwback packs that we open usually on Thursdays. Yeah, well, now what we've been doing is we've been signing them and including them with uh, a T-shirt. When you buy a No Dunks T-shirt, you get one signed by us, not as the player. It's our name, just so that nobody out there gets confused with... I only <laughs> signed a John Wallace, actually. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> we don't want anyone putting these up for sale on eBay or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, all those old ones we used to have in the in the starter studio, I, I don't know if they, um, if they survived or not. I think some of them did, but uh, probably... We probably just left a, a few of them there. Um, yeah, so. I think we maybe went through them sort of and took like the MJs and Shacks and whatever yeah. notable cards. And I think all the other ones maybe got yeah. tossed. I'm not 100% sure. They could be in a box somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. But, a, but good timing for this question here from Elliot because tomorrow uh, we are going to try to open a pack live on Instagram at some point. So oh. we'll see how it goes. Okay, okay. All I know is that there's a, a ton of them in a drawer in our No Dunks office, and every time I try and go get something, they just fall all over the place. Uh, we still we still have plenty. If anybody wants it, if you make a funny video of Trey Elliott in Oxford, England, I will send you those because they're basically everywhere, and I can't contain them. Uh, next email here. Hey, guys, question for Beach Steppen. If you had to have fast food for each meal on a single day, what would be your ultimate breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Let's add dessert into the mix as well. How your stomach feels the next day shouldn't be taken into account. I go breakfast. <laughs> I go breakfast. Tim Horton's sausage breakfast wrap. Awesome chipotle sauce. Lunch, Chick-fil-A spicy chicken combo with the side of nugs. Dinner, chipotle barbacoa bowl with two tortillas on the side. And finish it off with an Oreo McFlurry for dessert. Oh, jump in locations. Right. Uh, maybe you can just put Lee's mic on mute for this question. Keep up the awesome work. I got a ticket for the Toronto show for whenever that gets rescheduled. Travis in yeah. TO. Thanks for the email, Travis. No, I want Lee to answer this. You're forced to answer this, Lee. <laughs> you got to go fast food for for each meal. Where are you going? Hmm. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll have to go back in the DeLorean here and what I because I used to basically live on junk food. Um, okay. So I'm starting with I'm starting with a McDonald's breakfast like uh, yeah, like a sausage and egg muffin or a bacon and egg muffin. It doesn't really matter. One of those. Okay. Maybe throw a couple of hash browns in there as well. Uh, for lunch, I'm probably going to KFC. I'm probably going to get like Whoa. Uh, yeah. Whoa! Did Whoa. not expect KFC. <laughs> I'm going to KFC to get like uh, probably I don't know a dozen nuggets or so, some fries, uh, big Coke. You know why not? If you're going to go all in, go all in. Wait, 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 wait! You're going to get nuggets from KFC. You're not just going to get a straight up yeah. like uh, bucket type thing. No, nah, their nuggets in Australia used to be pretty good. Oh, so, fascinating! Uh, yeah, so. you haven't had nuggets till you've had Australian Kentucky Fried Chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Finest was, in the land. There was a KFC that opened in Sunbury, and I tell you what, it was the most popular place in town. Everyone went there. It opened before <laughs> McDonald's opened, so uh, they they just made a killing out there okay. okay um and as for dinner well 
I, I mean, Pizza Hut, does that count as fast food? I think it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, sure. close enough, close enough. So I think, I think I'd think i want to end the night with uh, with a Pizza Hut pizza. Uh, probably one of those, um, I don't know if you have them still, those like, they're, they're, they're basically a serving for one, like a, a personal pizza. I don't yeah. know, what, what is a personal pizza these days? No one really knows. Oh so, boy, here uh, we go. <laughs> I, 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 would get a, uh, I, I would allow myself to at least get a vegetarian pizza to uh, end the night off after eating all that other rubbish throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> and what about dessert? Oh, dessert? Um, all right, I'm going to go back to McDonald's for a, like a uh, chocolate sundae. Those things, okay. were, uh, those things were pretty good, especially if you got the, if you got the if you got the really super hot chocolate on top of it. There, oh it's yeah. Great. Okay, Trey, where are you going? Uh, is Shake Shack fast food? That's got to be uh, my first question. Yeah, it's fast enough. Yeah, fast enough. I love to hear it. All right, breakfast. I'm with Lee. I'm hitting up McDonald's. Sausage, egg and cheese McMuffin, a bacon McGriddle, two hash browns, and the biggest orange juice you can find. <laughs> Hey, man, this is a one-day thing. I'm going extreme here. I'm trying to put 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 calories into my body. Uh, yeah. For lunch, we're heading to Chipotle for a gigantic sofritas burrito with hot and corn salsas, cheese, rice, guacamole, beans, and I'll probably have a Dr. Pepper on the side there Woo! at Chipotle. <laughs> That's right. Living the life today. For dinner, we're going to Shake Shack. Gotta have me a smoke shack with cheese fries, a lemonade, and a chocolate malt. But guys, it doesn't stop there. Fourth meal, Taco Bell invented it. Taco Bell protected it. Two Doritos Locos Taco Supreme. A cheesy bean and rice burrito. Whatever specialty they have, they're coming out with something new every couple of weeks. I'll order whatever it is. And of course, if you're at Taco Bell, you gotta do a Mountain Dew. <laughs> Got yeah, it. that's Go exactly choice. right. I had to split up my, uh, y- you know, Mexican-inspired meals. That's why I had to go to Chipotle for lunch and then Taco Bell for, of course, fourth meal. You don't want to go back-to-back burritos. That's ridiculous. Mm. Well, <laughs> mine's a little different than your guys. Um, for breakfast, I'm gonna have uh, a four-piece chicken McNuggets combo. Wow. Uh, for lunch, I'm gonna have a ten-piece chicken McNuggets combo. <laughs> for dinner, give me the fifty-piece. I'm hungry. Uh, fifty-piece chicken McNuggets, and I don't do dessert because that's disgusting. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna have uh, sixty-four nuggets a day. No problem. Uh, yeah. Sweet and sour dipping sauce. Thank you. Um, Tess, that's funny you say that because I, I initially thought when I saw the question that you had to pick one restaurant. I thought mm. that would make it mm. hard. Oh, you know, you oh. get to you get to drive around and pick your restaurant and pick your yeah. treat. Um, so I, I just went McDonald's, triple it up, like you said there, Skeets. I, I've seen the commercials for the Little Mac, which is it's half the Big Mac. It's just okay. th- throw out one of the patties and throw out one of those useless pieces of breads in there. Uh, but it tastes exactly the same. It's just like uh, Trey was talking about the Impossible Whopper, which is the mm. vegetarian patty Whopper. It tastes exactly the same. So... I'm into that. I'm into that. Maybe Chipotle in the middle, I guess, for lunch, just to switch it up. They're owned by the same company, yeah. though, I think. So it's <laughs> kind of the same thing. JD, do you have answers for this? Um, yeah, sure. I'm generally <laughs> grossed out by all this, uh, to be honest. All this uh, this nugget <laughs> stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going international for mine. You can't actually do mine in the same country, I don't believe. So I'm starting <laughs> at Timmy's for breakfast. And I'm going to go off menu, just get a sesame bagel with cheddar cheese and throw a sausage patty on that. They hate it when you ask for that. It's very simple to make, but punching it in is very difficult, apparently. Uh, Sour cream glazed donut, of course. I'm uh, I'm hitting Jimmy John's for lunch. Nice tuna sub. That's my healthy choice for the entire day. Uh, Throw some jalapeno chips in there. 
And then for dinner, I'm going to Popeye's. Just all dark meat. Uh, why not? Four-piece dinner. Four-piece dinner, you know? <laughs> with, the, uh, with fries and beans and whatever else. And for dessert, I'm going to Dairy Ooh, Queen. Yeah. Peanut butter parfait. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a day. What a day. I'm actually starving now just talking about it. No <laughs> doubt. I hope I get trapped in <laughs> an airport sometime soon, because this is the only time I'm eating four fast food meals in a day, but I definitely would. All right. Our next question here. Uh, dearest No Dunks, I was reflecting on the ostensible ending of this season and how it relates to the ending of all the other NBA seasons. If it turns out that it is necessary to cancel the rest of the season because it is deemed unsafe to congregate until the fall then I would like to declare the Dallas Mavericks the 2019-20 NBA champions and Boban Marjanovic the finals MVP. Hmm. Allow me to explain. In every other season, the last team to win a game is the champion. The last game of the season so far was Dallas's 113-97 win over the Nuggets where Boban pulled down 31-17 and in 31 minutes. That's what he posted. My question... What's the most outrageous Homer argument you've ever made for a team or player you've loved to a fault? That's from Drew, uh, who's from Vancouver normally, but he's currently socially distancing on an island off the coast of British Columbia. Um, first off, what do you think about uh, his uh, point there? You know, Are the Mavericks possibly the champion? Because they did win the last game. Does he have a case to be made? Sure. Sure, I guess he's got a case to be made. Uh, I, I get, he's 100% right. In every other NBA season, the team who wins the last game is indeed the champion. So I have a feeling Mark Cuban would be okay with getting uh, an extra Larry O'Brien trophy, especially considering what happened in the 2006 finals. He would think he's owed this trophy anyway. So sure, ship it on down. Was that okay, definitely the last game that day? Because there was the Vince Carter hitting his final shot, and that went into overtime, did it not, at home to the New York Knicks? Yeah, but that was a, that was a seven seven thirty tip yeah. off, I think. Whereas the Mavericks was an ESPN game that was probably eight or eight thirty. So the Mavericks probably do tip him. But I mean, I would love to see Boban on the during the parade through the streets of Dallas holding up the uh, Larry O'Brien Trophy and the uh, Bill Russell Trophy for Finals MVP. It'd just be incredible to see that man with those two tiny little trophies in his hands. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah, it does appear that the Mavs game was the last one because the OKC game was postponed and then the Pelicans-Kings game was, uh, of course, postponed mm. as well. So, yes, yes, Dallas is uh, officially the last NBA team uh, of this season to win that last game. Right now, right now. But uh, let's answer the question. Tass, why don't you go first? Is there a, an outrageous, mm. you know, Homer argument you've got? Well, I thought... Vince Carter's autograph was Vince Carter's <laughs> autograph until it wasn't. Mm. And I made that argument for 22 years, but apparently it wasn't. Got to go listen to the podcast. Crazy. Crazy. I, I'll, uh, I'll piggyback off that. My, my Homer argument will be, potentially, uh, that the Raptors would have repeated as champions. You're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. That if, if we don't have um, you know, any more regular season or any postseason... And, uh, you know, yeah, of course, that's me being a homer, uh, loving the raps, hashtag we the north. But also, look, there were three teams. I saw Mark Stein include this in his newsletter that he just dropped. The Bucks, the Lakers, and the Raptors were 23-7 and seven since January 1st. Um, so in 2020, when the NBA season was indefinitely suspended there on March 11th. So three-way tie for the league's best record. I mean, a lot of people think it would be Bucks and Lakers, but Raps are right there. A lot of that wasn't with a lot of a healthy squad. So that will be 
if we don't have a season, my outrageous Homer argument that, uh, oh, the Raps would have went back-to-back. Locking in. Yeah. You bring up a good question there, Skeets. On last week's Beach Steppen, Lee put an asterisk on basically every NBA title of the 2000s. So maybe for next week's Beach Steppen, he can tell us why every single team in the NBA is actually this season's NBA champion. Oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, oh. I think there's something there for sure. <laughs> What's your Homer argument, though, Lee? Uh, well, you know, in, in the basketball world, you know I don't really have one team, so I don't ever feel that I've made that Homer argument. But I will take this to the soccer pitch because I will say forever and ever and ever that Thierry Henry was a better individual player than both Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. And wow. the home, Yeah, the Homer equation for me is, you know, I lived in London during Henry's peak years, and this was before Ronaldo and Messi came along. He was way quicker way stronger, way more powerful. He could hit goals from nowhere, pick the ball up in the center of the pitch and just drill it from a mile out, almost like Steph Curry range. Um, And I'm telling you, even though those other two guys have scored way more goals, if you had a choice, if I had to build my team around a guy, I'm taking Thierry Henry over those two guys forever. And I don't care who wants to fight me over it. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. I love that take. Uh, Trey, what about you? Uh, just this year, we were making our all-star selections. I popped Jason Tatum in there as my very last guy, and then I saw you guys going in with Bradley Beal, and I said, uh-uh, not on my watch. Not in my city. Put in Zach Levine as my final all-star, just so I could argue that Zach Levine had a better case than Bradley Beal did, which he did not. Uh, he also, <laughs> neither of them had a better case than Jason Tatum, who none of us had. So, yeah, botch that one for the Beantown boys. Mm. All right, next one here. Hey, guys. On the top 10 games to rewatch episode, Skeets and Trey mentioned the four made three-pointers by Zion in his first game and that he's hit only two since. If you would have to put money on this, would you say that those four three-pointers made are going to be his career high? Stay safe. That's from JP. Yeah, Zion Williamson hit four three-pointers in a game. Is that going to be his career high? This is, this is a funny question because I remember... Trey, I think it was you and I probably on a ride into the office, um, maybe not long after this game or, or at some point here in the regular season, we were, we were talking about this. We we're like, will that be his <laughs> career high, like hitting four? Uh, at first, I thought maybe, um, but after giving it more thought, I'm saying absolutely not a chance. Mm. He will definitely, okay, you can lock this in that he is going to have a game where he hits at least four threes or or five or six, so more than four. And here's why. Charles Barkley, how many games... Do, gotta, uh, let's make it a trivia question. How many games do you think, guys, Charles Barkley hit at least four three-pointers in a game? 17. Five or six? Tass? Uh, Ten. Okay, so yeah, Tass is the closest... There are, if you if you include the playoffs, I believe it's twelve games that Barkley hit at least four three pointers in a game. Now I bring that up because they're sort of like comparable players. Barkley not a three point shooter by any stretch of the imagination. Like he was a really bad three point shooter. He played in the eighties and nineties. Obviously not the three point era by any means. Like they weren't really letting him fly like they do now. So my point is like if if Barkley can have these games where he catches fire and hits four five uh, six threes then for sure Zion Williamson can and will over what hopefully is a long career. Chuck, uh, Chuck's best game from distance, he shot 6-for-6 six six in a 1989 game versus the Miami Heat. 
Wow. Um, so I'd love to go back and watch that one. Yeah, again, he was not a great three-point shooter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm saying not a chance, again, using Barkley as a comparison. He's going to – Zion's going to do it. What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah, didn't Zion, didn't those four threes come in about eight minutes as well? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's no question he's going to have games where he hits more of those because simply because that's the way the game is being played and he's 19 years old. So he's certainly got plenty of time to uh, to do it. And I just think it's just one of those things that will come in time. He may never be like a, a knockdown shooter, but uh, no. you just feel that there's going to be games where, you know, where he does just get on fire and he hits them and knocks them in. So I, I think absolutely he's going to uh, take the over on that for sure. Yep, I'm with you guys. Lock it in. He's going over four at some point in his career. Barkley took like two threes a game for the entirety of his career. Zion, by the time he's done with his career, he'll easily be taken to a game. There's got to be a few yeah. where he goes crazy, just like in his debut. I mean, maybe we'll look back and that's the only time he makes four in a row. Uh, but four or five, yeah. six in a game, I think is certainly reasonable. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That was two and a half minutes that he hit four threes uh, oh, in that wow. stretch. It was freaking bonkers. And so I understand where emailers coming from because you look at his game log, he's only hit one three-pointer uh, as, a, as a max in his other games. Yeah. But that's, that's small sample size theater. It'll, he'll have one where he goes nuts. It's true. Next one here. Hi, non-dunkers. I work in the financial markets, and apparently I'm too essential for the economy to stay at home. So while all the sane people are under house quarantine, I'm working my butt off from a very depressing trading room, watching all my retirement money go up in smoke. When I scroll through my social media, all I see is people playing and working out and cooking and having fun with their closest family in the comfort of their own home. That makes me feel left out and sad. <laughs> like a sick boy looking through the window at his friends playing basketball in the streets. Oh my God. The question is, when is a time when you guys have felt left out and sad? Stay safe. This is from Mots again in Sweden, I'm, I'm assuming. Or is this someone else? There's no Sweden part attached to this, but let's assume it's the same guy. Uh, that's Mots sending that in. When's the time you felt left out and sad, Lily? Well, it was my last year of high school, um, so I turned 17 in, in May, and we do the calendar year, you know, January to December, and in that same year, after, I was pretty much one of the last ones to turn 18, and the drinking age is 18, and so from about July onwards, a lot of my school friends started turning 18, Yeah. so they could go to clubs and bars, and they could get their driver's license and everything like that. And there was just nothing I could do to try to bend the rules in my favor. Like there was the, the other thing that made it even worse. There were a couple of guys who were youngish like me, but they looked a little bit older or had a fake ID. I had neither of those things <laughs> in my corner. I looked about 14 when I was 17 mm. and there was simply no like no driver's ID that I could get that I could use to get into any places. And so it was so painful. I mean, the last the last six months of school wasn't so bad, but it was that next year when we'd finished school. And then, you know, again, it was just there was less and less people turning 18 late than me. So everyone was going out and partying, telling all these stories and having fun. And I was just going home and playing NBA Jam on the Mega Drive. <laughs> that was all I could do. <laughs> so, so hold on. You were not handsome enough to uh, use your older brother's ID, I guess. Is that the case? I was handsome enough i just looked nah. like i said i was about uh, i was about 14 because i did i want there was one time where i snuck into a bar like it was about a month before i turned 18 and what happened this was one of those bars that was sort of like a, a restaurant during the day that became a club at night mm -hmm. and so you could sort of sneak in they wouldn't check ids 
all day long. So I went like at like 4.30 in the afternoon to go to this bar with a couple of friends. And a bouncer did come around and ask me about 8 o'clock. He goes, how old are you? And I said, 18. And he said, show me your ID. And I said, I, I don't have one. And he looked me up and down and he's like, all right, but if I see you drinking, you're out of here. So he said I could stay, but I wasn't allowed to drink. So mm. it was like, okay, well, there's not much point in being here. But uh, but yeah, they were, they were tough hearing those stories when everyone was out, you know, going to clubs. And I'm just like, oh man, I can't do anything about this. I'm this is this sucks. I'm with you, Lee. That's a kind of my story as well because I skipped a grade when I was really young. I went from kindergarten to second grade, so. I was about 18 months behind all of my friends when they were having their birthdays because I got a February birthday, which is kind of late in the year for a school year regardless. So the two biggest issues that ever caused were when we finally got to high school, everybody was a freshman and they called me eighth grader the entire year. What a diss when you're 13 (laughs) years old. Only got worse when we got to college. Uh, And everybody turned 21 and they were going out to the bamboo room and rip rocks. And your boy just had to sit home and watch Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. It was all downhill from there. Uh, but, you know, Schomburg, Schomburg can wait. Tash? Schomburg can wait. <laughs> Sounds like a great song title. Uh, well, uh, Mott's email here. Speaking of Mott's, actually, I get sad every time I have to have a Bloody Mary with tomato juice. Yes. And not Clamato. Mm. I don't want Mott's. I want Clamats. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, thank you. It's way better. It sounds gross. Clamato juice. Clam juice? It sounds disgusting, but it's way better. Just got a tanginess to it. Uh, and uh, Mots, your retirement money has not gone up in smoke, my friend. You do not sell and do not look at that account. Absolutely <laughs> do not look at it. Don't log on. Throw your computer out the window. You don't need it. Um, but, uh, I mean, my sad moment was I should have been in the building when the Raptors went to their first finals. Uh, it was game six, the Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks when they clinched. I had tickets. Well, I had tickets in the arena, but I didn't have a plane ticket to get there because I decided, you know, I'll buy a ticket to Buffalo instead because it was half the price of the ticket to Toronto. So I purchased that. But then after talking to my uh, buddy in the airlines, what a mistake that was. He said, you know, I just take my buddy pass, cancel your flight to Buffalo, which was stupid in and of itself and so i did that and then made the mistake of waiting at the airport i was sitting with skeets at the airport he got on the first flight because he paid the full four digit fare for that flight to toronto which i should have done in the first place and then i just sat there waiting and waiting as each of these flights was packed because they had there was some issue at the airport so every single flight every single seat on these flights to toronto and buffalo because i had my options uh was occupied and then i just purchased a seat but i didn't check in at the counter (laughs) over 60 minutes with over 60 minutes to go before the flight because i purchased it and i'd been sitting in the airport for eight hours and so when i went to check in under 60 minutes i was denied i was told i couldn't check in i could i didn't have a seat and my mind exploded it didn't i I couldn't compute what was happening i i purchased a thing on my phone it says i have a receipt i have an email and uh yeah it didn't go over well with the uh, the lady at the counter and uh my god that was a weird day at the airport oh so i left i left Uh, the airport and got in my car and i drove home (laughs) I i forgot about that part that you bought the ticket. I actually had totally forgotten about that part. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I didn't. I didn't say that on, when I when we did our podcast afterwards. I had, I yeah, I bought a ticket to Buffalo as a backup. <laughs> so that was my that was my backup. I was oh, going to wow. drive from Buffalo 
and I was going to rock out to some good tunes for two hours, <laughs> cross the border. Um, that's back when you could cross the border, but yeah. sad stuff, yeah. sad stuff. Yeah, so you were just on standby basically all day and then just could never get on until yeah. you bought your ticket and then didn't check in. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was a weird one. Because uh, because you couldn't, I didn't get the email to check in because it wasn't more than 24 hours right. prior to the flight. But if I went to the counter, I was sitting at the counter actually an hour and a half before uh, the flight was going to take off. And I could have gone up to the counter, but there was a lineup. So I decided to go to PY Chinese food. I think it's, that's what it's oh. called and, and get a meal instead. And so I was sitting there having my, uh, my fried rice, watching everybody go up to the counter and uh, watching my opportunity to see the Raptors in the Eastern Conference final go up and smoke. Ooh, such a great game too, Tess. Such yeah, a great game. I heard it was good. Oh. Yeah, it was good. Mm. It was good. Uh, mine is uh, quickly because I think I've shared this story before. It's more of like uh, I really regret my decision, but I felt sad and left out. Uh, 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Buddies lived out there, and I don't know why that I, I still to this day I don't know why I just didn't go out there, crash with them. I love the Olympics, um, and it would have just been fun to be in the city when they were happening, and it was amazing and. You know, obviously the huge gold medal hockey game, and I don't even care about hockey all that much. But that's you know the the nationality uh, of that moment. Um, so yeah, just regret that. Dumb, my own uh, my own fault. Could have went and crashed on a couch, and instead I just stayed in Toronto and watched them on TV. <laughs> so sad. Um, next one here. What up, dumpers? Your story about the group meeting with Turner executives reminded me of an extremely funny job interview my friend Bob had. If you missed it. We had an interview with our Turner executives where we were meeting them for the first time. We were going around introducing ourselves, and Lee Ellis got to Lee Ellis, and he said, Hello, I'm Lee Ellis, and I'm from Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good stuff. Uh, anyways, Bob was in the middle of an interview, and the last thing the interviewer asked was, Give me your top five qualities. Bob came up with four qualities, smart, hardworking, creative, flexible, and couldn't think of a fifth. He panicked and said, and I'm not racist. In the end, he ended up getting the job. Anyway, what are some funny experiences you all have had interviewing for jobs? You guys are really saving me from pure boredom during this pandemic. Keep up the fantastic work. That's from Eric in Minneapolis. So your best experiences interviewing for jobs. Yeah, I'll, I'll sit this one out because I, I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I don't really have a funny experience when it comes to interviewing jobs, even though I've had, as we've gone over before, like a million jobs in my life. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Lee, Trey, Tass, you've got a story because I got nothing. Uh, uh, yeah, I've got I've got two, but it's sort of one. It's sort of like it, it one blends into the other. Um, and it was uh, it was when I moved back to London in 2002. I'd just been I'd from Toronto I moved to London and uh, I worked at CIBC in Toronto and there's tons of banks of work available in the financial district in London. So I was hoping to sort of be able to move into that, but I didn't really have all that an impressive resume. So one day my brother who had been working in banks for years, I met with him and another friend and we juiced up my resume a little bit. And so I, uh, I sent it off and I got, a, I got a couple of calls back pretty quickly for some interviews because you know, all of a sudden my resume looked good. Uh, and I got one from a French bank called PNB Parabar and they, they liked it. And we started talking about my previous experience and the interviewer said, uh, oh, I see you've worked with uh, macros before. And, and I paused and I was like, what the f***? 
is a macro. <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> but I just nodded my head and said, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I work with them a little bit. I'm not all that familiar with them, but I've done some work with them. And he said, oh, that's good. That's good. We like that in our role here. And I was like, okay. Anyway, uh, nothing happened from that job. But a day or so later, uh, I got a call from an agent that I signed up with. And they said, uh, they said, oh, good news. JP Morgan Chase has a job offer for you. And I said, I said, sorry, do you mean an interview? And she said, no, 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 a job offer. And the, and the rate is 13 pounds an hour. And I said, uh, I said, okay, just so you know, I haven't spoken to anybody at JP Morgan. So like, do you want to just um, call back to check there's no confusion? And she said, she said, oh, okay then. Anyway, so a few minutes later, she called back and she goes, uh, yeah, no, it's you. That They want you to start on Monday and they've increased the offer to you from 13 pounds an hour to 14 pounds an hour. What? And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, it's only a six to eight week placement. Um, you know, but if you, it's like with any of these jobs, if you do a good job, they can, you know, you can stick it out. And I said, I said so she said, do you want the job? I said, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So I went in, I got a job without interviewing. I got a pay rise without even really knowing it. Uh, it was a six, six to eight week placement that I ended up working for three and a half years. So it was just incredible. Incredible. I really learned on the job too. So it was, it was just... You think you could still handle the macros today? <laughs> no, I, I I remember someone did ask me about that at JP Morgan once about macros, and I was like, I've never ever worked with macros in my life, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, I'll go next uh, because mine actually involves JD as well. Uh, I applied to be the in arena announcer for a minor league hockey team, the uh, the Brampton Battalion. In, in Ontario way back when. And so I had to create an, a demo reel, an audio demo reel. So I got JD to, uh, to fix it up for me. I went into uh, Supersonics where we recorded uh, the Basketball Jones for a year and, uh, you know, did a bunch of voice work starting at center. Number six, <laughs> Billy Bobby. JD made me sound great. I handed in the CD. I went to uh, an interview actually in the arena for the Brampton Battalion. This is during the offseason. Their in-arena announcer was... Uh, moving on to a different role. And so I was taken into the empty arena and given a mic and basically told, do your thing here. Pretend you're uh, doing intros for the game and, you know, have a sort of a commandeering voice, you know, take over the arena kind of thing. And and so I did it, but I sucked. (laughs) Uh, It was... It's uh, hopefully the NBA players, uh, you know, not playing in front of fans. Hopefully they don't have to do that. I I, I get why LeBron doesn't want to do that. It was really strange trying to make that happen in in an arena. But uh, I I stunk. Yeah, I didn't didn't come in. I just didn't have the cut of my jib is not made for that. So uh, I didn't get the job for the Brampton Italian. But hey, maybe I would have turned that franchise around because that franchise actually moved to North Bay, Ontario oh, uh, oh. several years later. <laughs> I think I've told the story before about how I was once offered a job in a McDonald's bathroom. An old man came up to me and told me that I was a nice looking young man and he had a job opportunity for him. I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll pass on this one. But the weirdest interview I ever had, I got the classic. Um, it was like an insurance sales job right after college. I was trying to go for anything for a little bit of money in the pocket. I go in and the guy gives me the classic, hey, sell me this pen. I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm like, uh, you like pens? 
And it was like at that moment that I knew you're never going to sell anything in your life, man. Maybe you can sell yourself and that's it. Uh, but yeah, sales work was not for me. And I didn't even realize at that time that sell me a pen was like a classic thing. And I suppose you should probably know that going into an interview, how to sell something if you're trying to sell something. Oh, I, I hate stuff like that. Those just cliche interview questions. Oh my God. JD, do you have anything? Uh, not really. I did work at a call center for about 45 minutes for the Globe and Mail. We were selling uh, subscriptions, and it was just one of those in, like uh, automated dial thing where you hear a beep, and then I'm the guy on the end of the phone saying, Hello, Mr. Manfredinson. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be interested in... Uh, in a uh, subscription to the Globe and Mail. And with the second guy I got was like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> so, like, I got a sale within <laughs> within literally 10 minutes of sitting wow. down. So the rest of the time, the 45 minutes that I was there, was processing the, the guy's order. And then I was I walked out. I was like, <laughs> I, I cannot, cannot do this. I was, I was batting 50 or 500, like probably the best – record that day for everyone in that room and i walked away wow they're like there goes the greatest, <laughs> the greatest yeah. salesman to ever walk through yeah. these doors yeah, he didn't want to embarrass us oh, all right all right next one here Ayo, yes layups uh i don't know about you guys but i love to embarrass my wife recently i've gone back to college with plans to finish this spring but being around a younger generation has showed me the dumb things kids do so as a joke I dab around my wife because she hates it. I've done it enough that it has become a bit of a habit, so now when I get excited about something, I'll throw out a sweet dab. Last semester, after I crushed a final, I walked out of the classroom and proceeded to dab my way out of the building. It was great until I realized the looks I got from other students. So my question is, has there ever been something you've done as a joke that turned into something you do regularly? Thanks for all the great content. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. That cue comes from Will. And I'm going to, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to drop a sweet dab uh, <laughs> right sweet here on dab. the spot as I say Will. So, yeah, is there something that you've done as a joke that maybe turned into something you do regularly? Uh, one day, I think it was in our first season on the starters, um, I saw a really cool bounce pass from Marc Gasol to Nick Calathes who laid it up, and I thought it was an awesome play. And I didn't see a whole lot of support around the table, but we decided to put it in the show that night just to sort of uh, see what sort of traction it would get and if people would enjoy it. And then, from then on, for the rest of our time at the start of the NBA TV, we had a section at the end of every show called The Very Solid Play of the Night. And it became, it became a staple of the show. Probably, probably more staple than any other segment we had on the show because it was in there every single night. Got a t-shirt made even. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, we certainly did. We got two t-shirts made, in fact, mm-hmm. from it. Oh, and yeah. a tattoo. Sorry. And a tattoo. Oh, yeah, you got. That's yeah. right, yeah. That's a, a good answer. What about you guys? Well, I'll, I'll jump in because mine is uh, kind of close to a dab, sort of dab related. When I had season seats up in the nosebleeds, there was a man in front of us who every fourth quarter in a close game, when the Raptors were at the free throw line, and this man would put up his arm sort of at a 90-degree angle in front of his face, sort of like an L shape. And when that Raptor shot, and if it went in, he would drop his arm and go huge. <laughs> and so every single Raptors free throw in the fourth quarter, every game, 
that was close. That man would do that. So we started doing it as well. My, my buddy Dave Setton and I, when we went to those games, every free throw was huge until him and his mom sold their season seats, and then we stopped doing it. <laughs> I, re- I remember trying to continue it. I used to love it. I remember when you taught me it from that guy. And it was, I was fun. Like, I love it. Yeah, I, I remember doing it for a long time, uh, like you said, after that guy was gone too. It's fun. You're right. The huge. Uh, but if, if the Raptor doesn't hit the free throw, you're just – up yeah. there hanging yeah. <laughs> just literally up there with an arm just chilling there until the I, next... always, I always do like a weird little uh like tingling of the fingers when the raptor player would miss the free throw <laughs> and you couldn't drop the huge it's like oh gotta reset that gotta reset that trey what about you well i had to stop doing the leapy i mean as soon as lee told us the story <laughs> within an hour as soon as i had to pee after we were done recording i went to uh, a bathroom at our place of employment and took a picture of myself doing the Lee P to send to our Slack group just to kind of, you know, get the info from Lee if I was uh, if I was set up the right way. And then over the over the the subsequent months, I just caught myself doing this every single time at night, and I was like, "This is this is absurd! Like, what are you doing, man? You can't be doing you can't be doing a joke P in the middle of the night when you're the only one awake to even see it." But uh, it probably lasted six months. Uh, but now I'm back to standing, and it feels great. Uh, you don't need to kneel down on there, but uh, it's worth it to try it at least one time just to see. You'll be yep. back. You'll come back. <laughs> well, Your I legs mean, will got... tire eventually. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I've got uh, two kids here who seem to have taken to the Lee P as well. <laughs> Children love it. So uh, if you're a child at heart, maybe it's for you. <laughs> uh, I'll answer this just quickly, too. Uh, something I've done as a joke that turned into something I did daily or whatever. It was actually something that turned into my job. Um, I started blogging uh, as a joke. It, that's how exactly how it started. Um, basically, sort of had a bet going with. Uh, I always forget that it wasn't uh, my buddy Grish or my buddy Dub that were daring me or betting me. It was Nora who first bet me. Uh, you couldn't, you can't write about something every day, um, like something small or share a photo or something like that, like microblogging at the time. And uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I can. And it was like, then I started doing it out of spite, just to see how long I could keep going. And that Ooh, that spite blog, yeah, that spite blog eventually turned into me getting a full-time, um, you know, writing job, blogging job with, you know, both Ball Don't Lie and Deadspin and all that. And then in conjunction doing the, our own podcast and stuff like that. But uh, that's, that all started really as a joke. The idea of like, okay, on January 1st, I'm going to share this picture and blog about it. And uh, she bet me I couldn't do it all year. And I did. And it turned into a job. Look at us now. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next one here. Hey, no boards. Like Trey and Skeets, I too love myself a rebound highlight. And in these times with no NBA on TV, I find myself watching a lot of compilations on YouTube. My question, who are your favorite rebounders to watch? I think the king is Rodman with all the hustle plays. But then I think about Westbrook getting all the boards from the guard position. Maybe Trey could throw us a cheeky top five. JD, cue the music. Thanks for your help keeping all of us entertained through these times that's from Jake in Minneapolis. Another another person from Minneapolis. Yeah. Jake, you asked for it. You got it. JD, cue the music. Top five, top five, top five. Top five, top five, top five. All right, these are my top five favorite rebounders to watch. 
If you're self-quarantining, now is the perfect time to dip into the highlights and just watch guys boxing out and going for boards. There's no other time you're gonna watch an hour of rebounds, so go for it. At number five, I got Andre Drummond, the best rebounder in the game right now. I was a little skeptical of putting him in, but he really gives you the blend of throwing his body around, the one-on-five rebounding where he's the only guy under the rim and somehow still comes up with it. And you gotta give props to Drummond because he also has incredible hops, better hops than the, the rest of the five guy, or the other four guys that will be on this list. But you'll see rebounds where he's getting his head up to the rim to grab the board. It's pretty cool to see a huge guy like that. So props to Andre Drummond. At number four, this is a respect pick, Moses Malone. I've talked in the past about how there's not enough highlights of Moses Malone out there to really get a sense of his game. There are some great rebounding highlights. That being said, I wasn't there to witness them really in person. You can go back and see him like ripping boards away from some of the greatest centers of all time. Your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Robert Parrish, Patrick Ewing guys who are now in the Hall of Fame and Moses Malone smaller than all of these guys and he's just throwing them around, out jumping him, out boarding him. Everybody knows that Moses Malone is the king of the miss your own shot, tip it back up, miss your own shot, tip it, tip it, tip it, tip it, and keep going. There are so many of those. So this is a respect pick to Moses Malone. He should probably be higher on this list. I'm just a little too young to say so. At number three, Kenneth Fareed. Not a name that wow. we're gonna remember for a long, long time, but between uh, his undersized stature, he had the long hair that was always bouncing, and the incredible energy he brought, he had so many of the tip it to myself six time rebounds or an incredible tip dunk. He's got some great ones to watch, and of course, you know he's got a rebound highlight tape. That brings us to the top two. At number two, Charles Barkley. I think it's forgotten now just uh, how great of a rebounder Barkley was and the fact that he is 6'4", tops, boarding against Moses Malone. He was on a team with Moses Malone. He's also playing against these incredible Hall of Fame big guys in an era where everybody was kind of jammed into the lane and it was going to be a little bit harder to grab the rebounds just because there's so many bodies around. And Barkley, incredibly strong hands, great boxer outer. There are so many clips where... There's a bunch of guys around and Barkley jumps up and everybody around him goes flying away from Barkley and somehow he gets the rebound. Just throwing his butt around. He's got a big one and it certainly paid off. But Jake was right. Number one, Dennis Rodman. He's the guy who's got like every one of his highlight tapes is a rebounding highlight tape. I was just showing the girls this over the weekend and you're just watching it and you're saying, look at him, he's just trying so hard out there. And that's exactly what it was because Rodman did box out, but for him it was more about just go and get it and don't stop until you do. He's got so many great diving out of bound rebounds uh, to save the ball. Uh, yeah, so that's my top five. Andre Drummond, Moses Malone, Kenneth Fareed, Charles Barkley, Dennis Rodman. Good top five. I mean, I love, like, even the Rodman rebounds where it's just him and it's just going to fall right into his lap and he just adds, like, the flair of kicking his legs and, like, just making it look cool. I don't know how, yeah, he can't be number one on this list. Anyone uh, anyone you would throw into the mix there, Lee, or Taz? Uh, I mean, just some of the smaller guys, like a Dwayne Wade, you know, really good rebounding guard in his day. He'd really get up there and uh, out-jump some of those bigger guys. You know, Westbrook as well as, the, uh, as, yeah. as Michael... Um, uh, not Michael, who was the guy who wrote Jake. that in? Sorry, Jake, uh, who wrote that in. Yeah, you know, whenever you see the smaller guys go for a rebound or come out, come from over the back or something like that, that always looks pretty cool because it's sort of not their territory. You know, that's where they're not supposed to be. I'm giving Tim Duncan a little respect uh, just because he couldn't get off the floor. Uh, all about the bod, mm-hmm. all about getting the position. 
and and that's who he is and that, and you know I think that's why people just sort of overlook Timmy never flashy got the job done though I was always a f- I'm I'm always a fan of a good boxer outer and that's what Tim Duncan was. He was the ultimate boxer. Yeah, he has a ton Great. of no-jump rebounds. My other two honorable mentions would be Carmelo Anthony and Carlos Boozer for bringing the audio uh, yeah. element of a rebound yeah. highlight. <laughs> Those ones, you it sounds weird to say, but you got to hear them to really experience them. That's right. And you yeah. said it. Now is the perfect time. Go watch these rebound highlights. So, uh, uh, I felt insane last night going into YouTube and typing in, Best rebound ever. Coolest <laughs> rebounds. <laughs> Give me the craziest rebound you got, buddy. The best, the best ones with Boozer and Carmelo are the ones when they out-rebound nobody. And they really... They <laughs> Give me that. And it's like, yeah. okay, no one else is here to get it off you. So just take it, man. <laughs> All right, great top five there, Trey. Uh, next one. Hey, no dunks indefinitely. Just wanted to say thank you for the quality of your content and for getting me into podcasts. Seriously, what was I doing? Also, your transition to YouTube has been great. It's nice to know what JD looks like. My mental projection was the guy from Hot Ones. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about that, JD? Googling that guy right now. Yeah, it doesn't look anything like you, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Looking forward to the future and getting back to basketball, but appreciate your creativity during these uncertain times. Uh, what is something, a trend maybe, etc., uh, you ignored or avoided for a long time but when you finally came around, there was no going back. Best to y'all and your families. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. That one is from Michael W. in California. Uh, so, yeah, what's something you uh, ignored for a long time? And then, man, you, you, you probably cannot give it up now. I'm going to go with uh, skinnier pants for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a baggy pant man. When we started the, the video portion of the show, our first iteration of our intro video, I'm in uh, baggy pants. Oh, yeah. Uh, but now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a skinny jean, man, but now I, I've caught on, and um, I'm not going back to the baggy style. I think most people would probably, you know, would agree with that one, too. I know I am, because we were, we were wearing gigantic pants. You're right. Uh, <laughs> once upon oh, a yeah. Time. The pants were big back I mean, in the day. I mean, they're just um, so big. <laughs> Boot cuts are coming back, though, guys. Oh, no. You still got your Abercrombie and Fitch denim no, from back in the day? No, Throw them on. No, Let don't. those ankles breathe. <laughs> Fashion uh, is a cycle, man. It's always yeah. going to come back at some yeah. point. Lee, you had a pair of true religions. Or maybe those were... Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah, are tighter yeah. than baggier, though. Oh, yeah. No, they're very nice. I, I, I'm the same. I, I was a late convert to the tight, skinny jeans, but now it's impossible for me to go into the baggy ones, really, because once you, once you realize just how good they are, the skinny ones, it's just it's <laughs> tough to go to the baggy ones. But I was a, I was a baggy jean connoisseur for, uh, for a long time, but you look at some of those old photos <laughs> and you're like, Well, that's why I'm surprised you never, like, once you made the move to tighter pants, that you continued to rock, uh, like, your big uh, boxers and all that fabric. Like, they go hand in hand, man. Like, yeah, it was fine to wear those big boxers with your big old pants, but... Once you get tighter, skinnier pants, you got to go more briefs, man. Yeah, no, I, I can't wear briefs unless I'm playing sport, and then I've got to keep everything in together. Otherwise, ah. I just, I just, because if I if I wear them around, I just feel like I'm being, you know, restricted, restrained, and uh, I like a little bit more freedom just in my day to day life. So yeah, I mean, because I've tried playing basketball in boxer shorts, but no, that doesn't work. Oh, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no,
<laughs> Trey, what about you here? Uh, you could not have paid me to tuck in a t-shirt from the 1990s <laughs> until 2015, but now around home, I'm tucking in cutoff t-shirts. I'm tucking in you know, like a button-down shirt, and I'm doing it into elastic weight pants. I look like an insane person, but a tucked-in T-shirt, I'm here for it now. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, you have uh, you have adopted that style. I've noticed that recently. Uh, for me, it's um, it's something quite recent. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm worried if I can ever live my life again without having the beard that I do. Um, <laughs> it's hard to go back. It really, truthfully, is hard to go back, and. You know, I started growing this beard just uh, just to see, first off, if I could and what the heck that would look like uh, when JD and I were up in Canada and, uh, you know, we weren't obviously on TV anymore, so huh, let's let it go. And it turns out I can sort of grow a beard. It's not a great beard, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's a beard. And then I shaved it all off um, for, uh, I believe it was for, actually for a funeral, yeah, so I took it all off, you know, trying to clean it up a little bit and... It was weird. Like, it was, I felt weird looking at myself in the mirror <laughs> and, like, going, like, man, maybe I do look sort of better with a beard and I miss it and all that. So I grew it right back and I've had it since. But I don't know. I mean, like, you guys can speak from experience, obviously, and you guys have had your beers for a long time. I feel like this is the case here where it's like you, you become attached to it, literally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when it, it, it eventually, when it gets to me and Trey's length, I don't know, Trey, you probably agree. It's more of a pain in the ass to have this beard than it is to just shave every day. You yeah, know? like because I gotta mm. comb it out and quaff it and and whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I can't. Uh, I would not recognize myself, and I'm convinced that I have no chin, and that if I shaved it, I would look <laughs> like you know Roger Ebert after he had his uh, his surgery, his unfortunate surgery. So no chin. <laughs> I, I think I, I'm I think I have that same issue, JD, because I Nora's been like, you know, clean up your beard because it gets like it's pretty scraggly and getting pretty gross, no doubt. And so I'm cleaning it up and I'm and I'm learning that as I go too. I've never done this. I've never had a beard, so I'm just like even learning where the heck to, how to even groom it. And but she's like, but but you know, leave your like uh leave your chin, leave your go like goatee like a little bit longer mm. uh, because you and and I was like, why? And she's like, well, it looks better on you because you don't have much of a chin. Mm. And I was like, oh damn, man, I don't have a chin. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm trying to let that grow a little bit. But yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. I don't know if I can. I mean, I assume at some point I'm going to shave it off, but it's going to be weird when I do. I know that. The question will be is if you make it through the summer because that's going to be the hardest part. Yeah. It gets warmer, and also your you know your face will tan where your beard isn't. And then if you shave off your beard come fall time, it's going to look like you just got a <laughs> a, a sunburn beard, I suppose. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't think about the. Uh, oh, Oh, yeah, the tanning part. I'm outside a oh, lot. Yeah. I'm out running a lot. Oh, my God. <laughs> so what? You're basically, I got to decide, like, now, really. Soon. <laughs> That's right. I'm either taking it off for the summer or, uh, yeah, I'm continuing with it all throughout the summer months. Oh, jeez. Okay. Decisions <laughs> to be made. <laughs> Next email here. Hey, no dunkaroos. I know Lee will be very happy about this. My roommate's mom made us some kombucha for us during the time of coronation. Oh, it's Coronation Day. Uh, have you guys ever <laughs> brewed anything? Kombucha, beer, wine, spirits, cider? Thanks, guys. That's from Cole in Pitt Meadows, British Columbia. So this is for all the brew boys out there. Have you ever <laughs> brewed anything? 
It was part of a microbiology class I took in college where, like, the final thing we learned was brewing our own beer. So, you know, we would do it maybe the last – maybe, like, six weeks before the semester ended. We brewed all this beer, and you put it away and blah, 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 and you wait for however long it takes. And then the, the cool thing is you all get to taste it with your teacher, but that made people very nervous. Like, we're going to be drinking beer with our teacher? Mm-hmm. Not me. I wasn't nervous. Just me and her finished an entire, uh, you know, like that little. <laughs> I, I, it's it's bigger than a growler, but it's like in that fermentation thing. I don't know what it would be. Yeah. Um, but whatever it was, you have no idea how strong your beer is going to come out when you're when you're home brewing it in a microbiology lab. And it was strong, wow. but it was awesome. It was one of the best classes I ever had. Just me and her sitting in a conference room with the rest of the students there being all nervous to take sips. We were not nervous. Got trashed. Keg stands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like 3.30 on a Wednesday. Good times. Day drinking. Best. That's right. For class, for credit. <laughs> I think I got a B plus. But what about the uh, the bottles you've been collecting from Lee? Lee finishes his kombucha every day, mm. and you've been taking those bottles in preparation of brewing your own kombucha, right? Uh, I'm going to try and do ginger beer first uh, because... A- for a kombucha, you got to have this thing called a scoby, and it just looks like a gigantic disc of snot. It looks so disgusting that Laura's <laughs> like, you cannot... What, first of all, how are you going to get one? Are they going to mail me like a, a bacterial culture? I don't know. Either way, it's going to be gross in our kitchen. So she shut that one down, but yeah, you're right. I've been harvesting uh, Lee's bottles straight off his lips. I don't know if that's the smartest move, but uh, <laughs> we'll try a little fermentation here. <laughs> Lee, have you done any uh, home brewing? No, I never have. Never, never brewed anything. I've never even. My dad used to brew beer when we were kids, but that 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 didn't really, uh, you know, ever sort of take off or inspire me to brew my own stuff. So, never done anything. But I am I am intrigued. I want to see how Trey goes with his uh, ginger beer there, and if it's something that you know sounds potentially like it's not too much trouble to do, then then I might give it a shot myself. But I'll I'll let Trey be the guinea pig on this one and uh, just see how stressful it is for him. <laughs> Hey, man, I'll pay it forward. You hook me up with the bottles. I'll give All it right. back. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Uh, I brew my coffee every day. That's kind of a brew. But that's, <laughs> that's I put it in my French pee, my French press, but that's about it. JD? Yeah, I, I couldn't be bothered to even brew my coffee. I have my Nespresso pods that I just throw in there. Uh, unlikely, my dad brewed his own beer for, I don't know, felt like six months or something <laughs> like that it's a lot of work um yeah. though i but i i do remember being um pleasantly surprised by how tasty it actually was i i, I didn't think it was gonna go that well because i was uh, i was probably yes yeah, yeah, 17 18 19 something somewhere around there when he was trying it out and uh it wasn't bad i was like this is totally drinkable um, so, but he gave up on doing that. There's a lot of work, a lot of work that goes into it. All right. Next one here. A couple left. Hello, Tinky Dinkies. We're all stuck in our houses for the foreseeable future. So my question is a simple one for these trying lonely times. Which on-court move is your go-to when walking around your house? Do you rip off a nasty crossover while you're on your way to the bathroom for a leapy? Perhaps a filthy Euro step before finger rolling a wad of paper towels into the trash. I can't tell you how many sham gods I've dropped on imaginary defenders while walking from one side of my house to the other during this quarantine. That question from Dan. 
Which on-court move you doing around your house? I'll, uh, I'm going to keep it on the soccer pitch, actually. I do more a step over. Anytime uh, there's something on the ground or one of my sons is coming towards me, I just quickly throw that little right foot out to the, <laughs> out to the side and then dodge and go off the other way. It, uh, it surprisingly drives them crazy because you, you, they see you going one way and then you just sort of deke off to the other way and <laughs> they don't like it. So when you know you've got something like that over your kids, you tend to go to it quite a bit just to drive them crazy. <laughs> I'm like Dan. I'm playing basketball all around the house. Uh, the Euro step, I would say, is my my go-to move, you know, around a bed, around a, a cabinet, around a child, whatever it is. But I also love uh, to box my wife out when we're both brushing our teeth, you know, get my booty into her, push her out of the way, out of the mirror, so I can have a little freedom there to get my scrubs in. But she led her high school basketball team in rebounding, so it's usually a battle down oh. there, a couple of alligators scrapping. <laughs> oh, surprised she didn't make your top five rebounders of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Honorable mention at the very least. Yeah. That's right. I, uh, I just dropped the uh, super exaggerated um, palming the ball like Iverson crossover. Sometimes when uh, you know Nora and I are gonna meet in the hallway here, you know, I'll just just really try and I always just want to drop her, break her ankles, um, but she just <laughs> she just never moves, so she just stands there and looks at me. So I'm just doing it for the sake of doing it. But I love that you know when Iverson sort of got MJ that one time. That's my move. Tassie got one. I, I pull more of a, a coach maneuver in that um, Danielle and I have got this thing going on that every time we change one of our kids' diapers. Yep. We we ball it up, and we try and label the other person with that diaper. So like like a coach like a coach will hit a player you know with the ball if he's not paying attention. Mm. Uh, when Danielle's not looking, I take it and I wallop her somewhere on the body, and and she, and she does the same for me. And it's usually not a. Uh, a, a, a bowel movement diaper just in case it may explode <laughs> ah, it's, right. it's, it's usually just a, a number one and those diapers they, they they suck up everything so the, there's not a mess to be made it's it's just our little way of showing love for each other <laughs> love it uh last one here oh, jd do you have one do you do a basketball move in yeah, your house i uh i will slap anything out of anyone's hands just around the house <laughs> so if my wife is coming in and she's got a pile of mail i'll just slap it at it like you would slap at a ball and just the mail goes flying everywhere uh it can't i once almost accidentally slapped a bowl of cereal out of lincoln's hand which would have been bad i just i had to stop myself and that was basically how it ended i just couldn't it was just a very bad habit of trying to slap things out of people's hands just as a joke uh, well is that why you guys still have mail from when you moved from toronto you guys have liter- literally decade old mail sitting on your, yeah because no one can open it everybody someone someone goes to try and open it and jd slaps just slap it, out it out of their hands. hands that's right hey no thrunks my first high school job was working as a stock boy at a junior hockey arena in the greater toronto area There was one game during the playoffs where everything was going right. The team was on their way to clinching the series. The arena was packed. The fans were happy. And I had gotten more tips that game than any other game all season. The very last thing I had to do before I called it a day was to bring all the liquor bottles from the in-arena bar back to one of the storage pantries. The bartender, who was relatively new, put all the bottles into one box and without thinking of the weight, went to lift the box only for the bottom to fall out completely, (laughs) smashing hundreds of dollars worth of liquor in the concourse. My question, name a time when everything seemed to be going perfectly, whether in your daily life or with your favorite team, only for the bottom to fall out in the end. Thanks, that's from Justin. 
a fellow Lombardian Ooh. Trey Kirby. Hey. What's the weather well, like in Lombard? <laughs> Justin, as a fellow Lombardian, may have the same answer as me. Talked about it on the Uncut Gems podcast. Things were going great for the 2012 Bulls. Best record, two straight seasons running, reigning MVP, winning against the Philadelphia 76ers in game one of the playoffs. And then Derrick Rose blew out his knee, and that was the end of the Chicago Bulls as championship contenders. Eight seasons now. Wow. I'll, I'll stick wow. with basketball, too. Yeah, Raptors, 2018 playoffs. Finished 59-23, and 23, first in the East. Took care of the pesky Wizards in the first round. They even won game one of that series. Things were on the up and up. They took on the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James in the semifinals. And, uh, you know, game one, I remember it. I swear to God, I remember exactly where I was. I wasn't in my own apartment. I was in the apartment across the hall because our place was being worked on at the time. So we were living in the other apartment, but we had the TV all hooked up. I'm watching game one. It's May 1st, 2018 again. Raps are up two, 30 seconds to go. LeBron hits a crazy tough fadeaway jumper over OG, ties it up. Okay, that's fine. Raptors ball, about 10 seconds left. DeRozan drives, kicks it out to Van Vliet. Wide open look at three. He misses it. DeRozan gets the rebound, though. He sort of shoots it right away from around the free throw line, all in one motion. He misses it. It's okay. CJ Miles gets a rebound. A few tip looks at it. He misses. He misses. It's okay. JV gets the rebound right in front of the rim. Little left-handed tip. Put it in. Let's win game one. Let's beat LeBron finally. And he misses thing eventually goes to overtime i had actually forgotten i watched this clip again uh yesterday but uh i'd forgotten lebron gets a pretty damn good look with like 0.6 seconds to go in regulation and it just misses that jumper i mean that one would have hurt um even more so than losing in overtime but uh none of this matters now because the raptors are the nba champions and they're actually in my books uh you know the defending and two-time champions but man oh man i thought that was the year they finally were going to beat uh, LeBron in the Cavs. I really did, especially after um, you know decent first round and having home court advantage. Nope, <laughs> LeBron just embarrasses. And then it was like LeBronto memes and stuff like that. Like it was, yeah. oh my god, that was that, yeah, was, that was some like, rough days. Very rarely do you see one game have such an impact on the rest of the series. Series was one. over. Yeah. Series yeah. was a wrap, and I yeah. knew it. I knew it. We all knew it as soon as they couldn't finish them in game one. Yeah. Yep. I'll stick with the Raptors. I thought I owned a autograph an <laughs> autograph from Vince Carter for 22 years only to find out it wasn't his <laughs> what about you Lee yeah well I played in a uh, men's league here uh, sorry not here in Toronto in 2007 and the final of that league was going to be played on the Raptors main court before a game one day you know how sometimes they have those um you know whatever like people playing on the court yeah. you know at three o'clock in the afternoon so that was that was the incentive for people to uh to make the final and we were the second best team in the league and coming into the finals i think it was one versus two and three versus four and the winner of the first game automatically goes to the final and then the winner of uh three and four takes on the loser of two and three uh, one and two and the winner of that would be in the final as well and so we had we lost that first final, but then the second final, we'd beaten this other team twice during the regular season. So I was like, well, this is, you know, I'm pretty confident we're going to win this game and go and get to go to the final and play on that Raptors court. We were up about 12 to 15 points or so with about eight minutes to go. And I was like, great, we're home, we're home. And all of a sudden, this guy on the other team just started going, getting hot, hitting threes, going into the lane, scoring. 
he the 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 lead of ours evaporated and we just froze up and choked on offense and we couldn't score and this other team went on to win by about eight or ten points and they got to play in the Raptors home court and I was devastated that we just didn't get a chance to go down there and play on that so yeah we were cruising along but we got too we got too fat we got too fat and we thought we're home and uh and and we got a, a rude awakening and it cost a chance to play on a, on a real NBA court was he uh was he giving buckets to you? Were you guarding him? Yeah, I did. I was guarding him a couple of times. Yeah, um, but wow. but yeah, he um, he just got hot. He he was hitting threes, and he was sort of hitting deep ones as well. Like, and, and I was just like, because it was like, all right, you're going for the homers, home runs right now, so go for it. Yeah, and he hit a couple, and then he just got confident, and you could just you could just feel our team. We all of a sudden were just like, oh, we just didn't know what to do. Like they had all the momentum and. Um, and it was, a, yeah, it was a great performance by that guy, but I, I just couldn't believe... In, in those sort of leagues, it's very hard to blow a yeah. double-digit league. Yeah. You know, very hard to blow. Uh, you guys did, said you we, lost by eight. I know, I know. We, we, I know, they must have gone on like, you know, like a 25 to two run or something like that, and, uh, and it cost us. So, yeah, we were, we were all pretty bummed out about that one. Damn, hate to end this podcast on such a <laughs> dour note, but we're going to. That's it for today's show here. That's it for today's Beach Steppin' Podcast. Uh, we do have a few more podcasts lined up for the rest of the week. On Thursday, we're going to have a brand new episode of No Buffs, our Survivor Recap Pod. Yes, Survivor's on. Hitting the merge tonight, JD. Woo! Yeah, you are. Woo, dropping the woo. Uh, and on Friday, we've got something super still... And on Friday, we've got something super, super silly in store. Um, I think some laughs will be had. So uh, that's all I'll say right now. But we got something for Thursday and Friday. And, and again, make sure you go and listen to the case of the mysterious Raptors autograph. Tass has alluded to it a couple times in this one. Uh, he thought he had himself a Vince Carter autograph for 20 plus years. And turns out it wasn't. Uh, so that's a fun podcast. I think you guys will enjoy We posted that right before this one. All right, Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember to look out for our next podcast, which will be another investigation. Who challenged Skeets to write daily for a year? It was Nora. <laughs> Not my buddy Grish. <laughs> Not my buddy Paul. Not that temper boy guy. What a curveball. <laughs> Tune in to find out. Dun, dun, dun. Praise the day, people.